0: Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Christy Crispin. Some years ago, I heard this statement about fulfillment and success. Find a need and fill it. And as I learned a little of Christy, I feel she truly embodies this and gives us a great model. In her life, Christy is a mom. She has chosen to be a foster mom, an adopted mom, and her life's path has led her to create a fostered life. Let's meet her to hear this life-changing story. Christy Crispin, good morning. It is so wonderful to connect with you this morning.
1: Thanks, Kate. It's great to be talking with you today.
0: You are doing such phenomenal work. I'm just overwhelmed, really, with all that you're doing and how you're going about it and really what kinds of transformations can occur along the way in this whole critically important area of foster care, foster families. So first of all, thank you for being so passionate about this work.
1: Oh, I, I, I can't help it. <laughs> if I could, I probably would try to step back, but I can't seem to. So um, thanks.
0: So a little bit of background foundation. It's not that you've been doing foster care, doing, being involved as a foster parent for really all that long. It's been what, about six years? Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, we were licensed. In fact, um, December 31st is our sixth anniversary of being licensed. And uh, and then we, we got our first children about two weeks after that. So we're coming up on our sixth anniversary of that. Actually is it coming up on our seven well anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm trying I'm thinking now. I think it was anyway, it doesn't matter. Six or seven. <laughs> but my passion for foster care really goes back a, longer than that. I was it's been at least fourteen years since foster care first came onto my radar and I you know, I kind of got this fire in my bones that never went away and then when my husband and I met and started dating started getting serious, we talked about it at that time and agreed that this was something we both wanted to do and kind of how we envisioned forming a family. Um, We were not going at it with the intention of adopting, but we've always been open to that. So we've said, you know, our goal is to be a home, a safe place for kids who are in a crisis or transition. And then if adoption comes out of that, we're open to that as well. Um, But it's not like we are, we were, went into it hoping to adopt, if you know what I mean. So we have done both. We've had a number of children who've come and gone, and we've adopted three, and we're uh, very close to adopting our fourth. And um, so it's quite an adventure, and the best thing that we've learned to do is just to really stay open and flexible.
0: So Adventure. Uh, It sure sounds like it is. And it occurs to me that how uh, perfect that you met your husband that he had essentially the same kind of dream the same passion uh of course if he didn't you may not have ended up together but it's oh yeah yeah you are a strong unit this way
1: we are and it's so interesting you say that because my husband and I were 35 and 40 when we met neither of us had been married before um we had both had a couple of false starts but <laughs> but never landed and i think you know looking at it now, and, and maybe people listening who aren't married yet and who are kind of you know looking at that, um, our shared mission and vision for what our life would look like is what is what is the foundation of our of our marriage and um You know, it's just so interesting because I wouldn't have necessarily understood that until we were in it. But he didn't have necessarily a passion for foster care itself, but he has a very strong passion for justice and for people who are in crisis. And and he has two people in his family who have served as foster parents over the years. And so he had seen it sort of in passing and seen – you know, from a distance in a way. And then when I mentioned it, it just sort of fits so beautifully in with who he was as a person um, that his, you know, his words were, I love it. Like when we, you know, we were like, Hey, do you want kids? We should talk about that. Here's how I envision it. And he was like, I love it. And we've been united on that. And I would say for anyone listening, who is considering becoming a foster parent, it is, vital that you and your partner are 100% on board together. If you're not, it will only make it very hard in your marriage or your relationship, and also in your stability as a foster family, because um, this only works because both of us are fully committed. And I can't emphasize that enough.
0: Oh, it is so beautiful. It's making me tear (laughs)
1: because,
0: because it's so vitally important to our world just the nature of way things exist. And I, it's not new today. It's existed for, I think, a century or probably centuries. Mm-hmm. So to really have you articulated in this way... And further than that, to be living this, and even further than that, to be sharing it and wanting to make more of a, a almost like a, a guidebook, uh, yeah. a pattern for others to be able to understand some of the pitfalls. It's not like, okay, this is exactly how you do it, but right. y- you bring us an understanding.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that there are sweeping generalizations that exist for a reason in that there are a lot of commonalities between children and care, but it's also important to really understand that each child is unique and is, is, and one of the best things that a foster parent can do is to really take time to see that child and learn who they are and learn as much about what you can, about what they've been through. Sometimes, you know, a lot, sometimes you know very little and you only see the effects of what's happened to them, but you don't actually know the details of it. And so, kind of be able to see kids, to to pay attention to who they are and to give them a space where they can really discover who they are um, and, and grow into who they are. At the same time, you know, supporting whatever efforts are being made to help them re- be restored to the family that they come from, which is really complicated. And, you know, it is um, like many, many things in life, anyone looking at it from a distance or hearing about it, um, can can say things like, you know, um, we can either feel really strongly about how important it is that kids be restored to the family they come from, which I do think is important when it's a good idea and when it's safe and when it's, you know, going to be good and healthy for the child. But a lot of times it isn't possible for various reasons. And, um, you know, and so there are just a lot of really complicated parts of the story. And meanwhile, children are in really unstable situations for the duration of their time in foster care. And that can go on, unfortunately, for years, even though there are laws in place that are supposed to make their time in foster care much shorter. There are still all sorts of reasons why children just stay in foster care for many years and and a lot of times for their whole childhood. And then we send them out into the world And they have had 18 years or 16 years or 12 years or, you know, 10 years or even five years of these really important formative years of life that have formed in them expectations about the world, expectations about people, expectations about the very people who should be caring for them. And that could be their parents. It could be extended family members or it could be the foster parents whose lives they were, you know, entrusted to. And you know, if if they've had a bad experience in foster care, it only perpetuates whatever they were already formed by, you know, before coming into care. So it's just so complicated. And um, my thing is, there are many areas in the foster care world that really need overhaul and need a lot of attention. Um, and if you think about it as a big picture, it can get quite overwhelming. And I do read a lot and I do pay attention. My goal is to come alongside foster parents and help foster parents do their part better because, um, you know, there's a lot we can do. We're not the only, we're not the only solution and we're not the only answer. Um, we're not the only problem. I mean, you know, when things are going badly, but I I feel like there's more we can do to help foster parents be equipped, um, be supported, um, be informed and encouraged along the way. So that for example, um, we don't have a child move in, Uh, a new foster parent, really excited, wants to make a difference. The child moves in and within a couple weeks, the foster parent is completely overwhelmed by the challenges that, you know, have suddenly also moved into their home. And um, to really help equip foster parents to make sure they know what resources and support they can find so that they can keep that child in their home and not Be yet another stop along that child's journey. I mean, I've read about kids who were in 50, 80 foster homes from the time they were, you know, five until they were 18. What that does to a child um, is. We can't even begin to, to understand how damaging just moving that much is to a child. And, you know, let alone whatever else they might have gone through and any substances they might have been exposed to in utero that gave their brains a disadvantage from the start. I mean, there's just so many layers. But my passion is to help foster parents be more equipped and sustained so that they can not just stay the course with the child who's been entrusted to them but they can do it in a way where they are also flourishing as a family. And um, it's a passion of mine. Um, I just, you know, I hear so many foster parents who are like just surviving the day. And I was that foster parent for, for a couple of years. I mean, I was just surviving the day. And um, so much about my personality was affected by it. The the level of stress that we lived in was certainly, um, you know, it affected our marriage dynamic and just, all sorts of things. And we pushed through, we fought through and there was something in me that was like, we want to stay the course in foster care and support, all, you know, we, we feel called to this, but it cannot work if it's not a, a place where we as a family can also thrive and flourish. And how can we do that while we're living with all of these huge issues, huge issues. Um, and so that's my passion. And that's what I've been kind of devoting a lot of my time to for the last Five years or so.
0: And the way then you're really sharing this passion uh, in a very simple way for us these days is through your website. At least that's mm-hmm. one major way, I feel. Mm-hmm. And- yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it started, so this is how it started. I was about six months into my first placement and um, realizing how little I was prepared for. And um going through a lot. We went through a lot with our first kids. And um, I'm the kind of person I'm a go-getter. I'm an initiator. I'm a problem solver. So as these problems were coming up or these situations were coming up, I was on the phone. I was writing emails. I was Googling. I was trying to get as much information as I could. And um, as I was learning things, meeting with therapists and um, beginning the process of doing, you know, child child therapy with, you know, with one of our children and um, learning so much about trauma and just learning about the effects of trauma on the brain. None of that was something I went into this knowing. And, um, and so as I began to learn, I started looking for resources. I was like, how can we let foster parents know these things so that they don't suddenly find themselves with children in their home affected by these truths about trauma and all of this? And, um, and so I was like, surely there must be some easy access online to some sort of resource. There's so much on YouTube. So I started looking on YouTube, and I did not find anything that I felt really accurately showed what it's really like for foster parents. I found um Foster parent or foster care videos on YouTube that were basically like really romanticized kind of, you know, um, Hallmark Hall of Fame type <laughs> like YouTube videos that painted foster care as this happily ever after for children who are you know removed from the horrors and then placed in foster care and somehow their lives got all better, which is not true at all. Even in a good foster home, it isn't true. Um, And then, and I knew it wasn't true. So I was like, okay, well, that's not helpful. And then the other side of it was, you know, kids who have been in foster care who had horrible experiences and then were taking to YouTube to get their voices heard, which I applaud them for. I think it's really important. And I learn a lot from watching YouTube videos of children who were in foster care. But I was like, none of this is the sweet spot of what I'm looking for, which is a relatable foster parent telling it like it really is, but in a way that stays positive and keeps people wanting to be foster parents. Because if we only talk about how hard it is and, you know, all the challenges, why would anybody volunteer for that, right? So it's important to me to do it in a way that's very honest, but also very hopeful and positive. And so that's what I've endeavored to do. So I started a YouTube channel, and um, and as that grew, I started hearing from people all over the world who were writing to me for advice and, or, you know, my thoughts on things. And what I would do is I would take these emails and then I would call people I knew, call other foster parents. I would um, call social workers that I had befriended. Um, I would research it online. I would look for books and I would just um, get back to them, the research and the stuff that I had found. And that got to be more than I could keep up with. I am not able to keep up with all of the messages that I receive now. But what I do now is then I will get messages from people and I'll write blog posts answering their questions because my assumption is they're not the only ones wondering that. So it grew into a blog and then um, my husband actually suggested earlier this year that I start a podcast. Actually, he probably suggested it a a long time ago, but it took me until this year to finally do it. And um, I had hosted a podcast um, several years ago now, um, dealing with something completely different. But I love interviewing people and talking with people and hearing people's stories. And I believe that listening in on a conversation like what you and I are having right now um, is a great way for people to learn about something. And so I started this podcast. And what's beautiful about the podcast is that it's not my experience. It's it's other people's experience that I'm sharing. And uh, so I've had a lot of people on it who are former foster youth who are now um, doing things like being foster parents or social workers. And then I've had other foster parents on and um, child therapists, trauma therapists, um, foster care advocates. And, it, and so that's become the third kind of thing. Um, The third part of what I'm doing, I've got the blog, the the, um, YouTube channel, and the podcast. And then this year, I also started a small private group, membership-only group for foster parents and prospective foster parents that's a lot more intimate. It's a a weekly live call where we're all on a Google Meet together. We can see each other. We can hear each other. And um, it's kind of part support group and part um, training. I bring on people professionals, um, experienced foster parents, again, therapists and different authors, things like that. I bring them on and I essentially facilitate a conversation with them. And then the people in the group have a chance to ask questions, to share from their experiences. So it's kind of a support group and a training time online, really accessible. And that's the goal. And this is, I'm just, what I've done is I've created what I needed. And, And so I love it. And it's been, it's going It's going beautifully, and uh, hopefully, it it will be something that I can sustain. I'm enjoying it a lot, so I think it's going to be something I'll be doing for a while.
0: It feels like it's the most perfect thing because it's fulfilling what you needed, but you're finding others in the same kind of situation that, of course, find that it fulfills what they needed at a given time. It's that kind of grassroots approach Mm -hmm. that makes such great sense.
1: Yes, it does. And I'll tell you, foster parent one of the things that i've heard so much is from foster parents who are writing to say i thought i was the only one who found it this hard i'm getting choked up <laughs> to speak about that because i hear from so many people who are like by you coming on youtube or you know wherever and being honest about how hard it is and about these different things that you face i realize i'm not alone and that what we all need in whatever we're struggling with knowing that we're not alone is it makes all the difference in the world and um too often foster parents don't feel like they can be completely honest because maybe they're afraid they'll lose their license or they're afraid that the kids will be removed because they're being honest about how hard it is and they're not saying they want the kids removed they want help they want support so they can actually help these kids and make it work um and so I think just offering this, this awareness that you are not alone in this and um, when things do get really, really hard, there is a space where you can safely bounce around ideas. Um, we have walked through um Foster parents who did have to come to the really hard decision that they were not equipped to care for a child who was in their in their home, and we're talking a child with very serious emotional issues where they needed round the clock supervision. They were suicidal. They were um, doing harm to, to themselves and to others. You know, so there are those cases. When a child's needs do exceed what can be provided in, in a typical home environment, and they need a lot more supervision. But I, I will just say um, that is the that is the rare exception. It's not the norm in my experience for kids in foster care. Most kids in foster care would thrive and do thrive in a stable home environment where there is some structure, there is a level of predictability, and sure you'll have you'll have times when it will be really hard we have dealt with a lot of big big tantrums from older children so you might have a you know a six or eight year old tantruming like a two-year-old but when a six or eight-year-old is doing it you know the 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 damage can be a little farther reaching you might have a child who runs away but um um, those things can can be dealt with and they can pass so if if you can kind of weather it For a season with a child, you will begin to see them settle in and thrive. And that's another part of my message is um, one of the best pieces of advice that I got during our first placement when things were really, really hard. I called a friend of mine who is a CPS worker in another state, and I was just telling her what all was going on. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to keep doing this. We want to, but something has to change. And she said to me, Just stay with him. If you can continue to show up for him each day, um, for four months, you will see a change. And it was six months, but she was absolutely right. And I tell people that now, um, one of the most powerful things we can do is just stay with our kids, assuming that they are not doing self-harm, that they're not, you know, setting fires or doing harm to others. Um, if you can just stay with them through the tantrums, through the the huge feelings, through the, you know, harsh words and just the, the abuse that they might levy because they are so hurt, Mm -hmm. you will begin to see a change. And I've seen that over and over and over again um, to just encourage foster parents to stick it out a little bit longer and, uh, and, and see what happens.
0: I think that we just cannot imagine, unless perhaps we've been in that place ourselves of a, a child who's been in a home that they've had to be taken from you know yeah. the kind of abuse or and or neglect that's gone on so that you know there is a, a a definite source for that pain and that rebellion that's going yeah. on so to be able to just stay with them i could see that that's just the greatest gift that you could give them
1: yes you know, I I have really, I mean, and this is not something I came up with. So I can't take credit for this. Um, I took a Positive Parenting Solutions um, course that I I retake it a couple times each year. I go through all the materials. It's an online course, and but but the the thing I took away from that that really has stuck with me through all of this, and I think is such a simple um, understanding. Kids need to feel a sense of empowerment. They need to feel a sense of connectedness. They need to feel that they belong somewhere and that they have a place somewhere and that they have some personal control in their lives. And this is going, I mean, two year olds need that. This is probably about part of the source of tantrums for every two year old is that they want some control. They don't necessarily have the language to articulate what they want. And and so they, you know, they have these tantrums because they're just so frustrated. Um, but if you take that to a child who has had pretty much every single modicum of empowerment taken away from them and control taken away from them and then they're removed from the place that they had a sense of belonging even if it was dysfunctional and unhealthy and you place them in a in a in a home where they have no history no familiarity and no sense of belonging, those you've basically taken away two of their fundamental felt needs. And, you know, assuming that you're feeding a child, giving them a safe place to to sleep and that sort of thing, these are the things they need more than anything. So if people can look at them through the lens of how can I give this child a feeling of empowerment and how can I help them to feel connected, um, that makes all the difference in the world. And a lot of what I do is is kind of comes back to that and how to help foster parents achieve that in an environment where, yeah, we don't know how long the child will be here. The child doesn't know that either. And that's one of the hardest things for kids is not knowing how long they're going to be where they are. And it's it's not always because the foster parent initiates a move. It's all sorts of factors that initiate moves for kids in foster care. So those two things are hugely important. And if you can begin to fuel those felt needs for a child, you will begin to see them, um, well, heal, at least start to heal and, and rise up. But, and, you know, there are a lot of other factors, too. If you have a child who is exposed in utero to drugs and alcohol, especially alcohol, the potential for brain damage is there. And so then you're dealing with a child who actually is, you know, who has brain dysfunction. And then that's, you know, an added challenge that that you have to get training and equipping for if you're going to be able to stay the course. So yeah, there there's a lot of levels and factors and I try to address as much of it as I can. And a lot of what I do in my resources is, is a response to what people are writing in and asking me about.
0: And we should mention that wealth of information is on your website, and that is
1: uh, life dot com a f o s t e r e d l i f e dot com.
0: And we owe it to ourselves. Even if we are not necessarily thinking about fostering ourselves, uh, it's information that is just so invaluable for life and awareness. And one of the things that you had noted to me earlier uh, in a note, Christy, was about a fact that you had read about incarceration related to foster care. Would you share that?
1: Sure, and it's so funny because since I wrote you that note, I've I've seen additional research, and it's even worse than I thought. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, no. So the S, there are there are a number of different you know research is always complicated because it's, it, there's a lot of factors in research, but generally speaking, um, it, it appears that one in four incarcerated individuals in our nation spent time in foster care. Um, another bit of research i saw earlier this morning i was doing some more reading and that actually put the the estimate closer to 80 percent um but at any rate there is a very high level of correlation between foster care involvement and prison and the kansas city star actually has just released in the last week a wonderful box of reporting six long articles um, NPR also covered their reporting because it's just so robust and so rich and extensive. And, and it really goes into detail why this happens, but there is such a correlation. And I guess what I the point I was making to you and that I would love your listeners to really, you know, take in is that being called to be a foster parent is just one small, I mean, it's one part of the puzzle, but every single person should care and make it their mission to somehow be more, more aware and also involved in some way in supporting these kids who are in these situations. And, you know, um, when I became a foster parent and sort of began, it began to be something that I talked about more, it would just come up casually in conversation. And everywhere I go, I connect with people who were either in foster care or who my doctor, I went to my doctor and I had no idea that my doctor was in a home where her parents were foster parents. And so she had grown up with foster siblings and, you know, it's just, it's everywhere. Kids at your, your child's school, they're not going to wear a t-shirt that says I'm in foster care. But believe me, when I tell you, there are children at your child's school who are currently in foster care. And there are ways that you could be supportive. Just inviting that child over to your house for a play date could be huge. I mean, just I can't even begin to express to you because children in foster care lose connection with their friends every time they move. Um, It's better. It's a little easier for older kids who have phones and have computers to stay connected with their friends once they move. But for little ones, you know, elementary school age kids, they get plucked out of a school. They get plucked out of their family. They get moved to another family, moved to a new school. So if you you know, can somehow surreptitiously find out who at your kid's school might be in care and just reach out to their family, reach out to their foster parents. Um, That, that would make a huge difference. So there's a lot that people can do. And I'd love for people to be thinking about that more instead of just kind of leaving it up to the foster parents and the social workers to handle it, you know.
0: Exactly. And that I'm so glad you said it in that way, Christy, because, yes, we're not all in a position or made out to be foster parents. However, we can just really be part of that whole web of making this just such a better situation for children and, and really making that difference, bringing justice, as your husband said, bringing justice yeah. to the world. Yes,
1: yeah. yeah. No one wants foster care for kids. And I've gone on record saying I hate foster care. I mean, in the sense of I hate that there's a need for it. I hate that it has to exist. But it does have to exist because there are parents, unfortunately, in the world who are harming their children and there's a whole other you know conversation happening right now about you know should children even be removed um, are we removing children too quickly are we removing children because their parents are poor and punishing them for being poor And I can just tell you from my experience with the children who have been in my care and for the kids who I've gotten to know over the years through the circles I've been involved with, they aren't being pulled because their parents are are poor. They're being pulled because their parents are doing harm or standing back and letting harm be done. And, you know, so as long as that kind of thing is happening there is a need for someone to step in. If a parent isn't doing the job of protecting their own children, someone needs to do it. And so, you know, unfortunately, foster care is not always the safest place for a child. And my goal is to try to do a little bit to change that.
0: And I greatly appreciate, and I trust our listeners hear your passion and appreciate this as well. There's so much more that we could talk about, but, you know, time is our enemy at this point. <laughs> but I, I hope that we can plan to have another conversation because there is so much to discuss.
1: I am always ready and willing to be back with you. So I appreciate so much your openness and just your hospitality inviting me to be on your show today.
0: Well, Christy, it's just definitely been so informative and just so compelling. So thank you greatly for this work that you've been called to do. My pleasure, Kate, and thank you. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Christy Crispin and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Stephen G. Post. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests, particularly at this holiday time of the year. For details that you might have missed, Information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of finding your connection to each other, to life, and to your purpose. Have an extraordinary week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.